Is my questions are over Love there? Talk oh, radio. Okay. Behavior book. Let's get love in a better place. Pick up a book. Travel through time and space. So much to learn. So much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. Day Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Good morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis. This is MJ Network. It's beautiful outside, and this book really hit home for a lot of reasons. The title is In the Middle. And the author, Karen Schultz, is here. And Carrie Young was successfully juggling her career at an advertising agency with being a wife and a mother. But her mother's sudden illness sends her life spiraling, and now she has to add being a caregiver, don't I know, to her already hectic life. The demands of hospitalizations, doctor's appointments, and daily care throw her life into near chaos. And if you've ever been there, you'll understand that this really hits home. Caught in the middle between her work and family, she works really hard to please her ever-demanding boss while also finding time to care for her family and ailing mother. And the rest we will tell you. Good morning and welcome to MJ Network. Boy, does this really remind me of taking care of mine. <laughs> well, good morning, Fran. I, I know you said that you were had were a caregiver the last time we talked, so I thought this would resonate. It does. It does. For eight years I did it. And, you know, something no one realizes that it's just as hard as working. It's even harder. And you're dealing with so many yeah. other things. So the title has yeah. multiple meanings. How would you define it? And why did you create a plot with one mother who had changed the lives of so many people in her family? Well, I, I chose the in the middle because I feel that the uh, character – Carrie, who speaks as the author, um, is stuck in the middle between trying to take care of her family, have a career, and take care of her mother. But she's also a middle child. So there are a lot of middles for Carrie, the main character. I know. So who are the people that were involved? And who? tell us about her family. And she's got the primary voice, which makes sense throughout this entire uh, story. Right. It's a a first-person story that she's telling. And she has an older sister, who is Maria, and a younger brother, John. And she kind of has this middle position in the family. And, you know, her her mother normally gravitates to the oldest child and the youngest child. And so she's always felt a little bit in the middle in the family. Uh, and and they each have a bit of a different perspective about caregiving, and, and they have a different relationship with their mother. Mm. You know, I believe that because mine was different. My My sister was gorgeous, and she died, and she was in the middle. And... She was treated differently than my brother, and my, and my brother and my sister were treated differently. I was told that if I did, wasn't perfect and didn't follow the exact rules, you don't want to know. So it's true. 
even though I was sort of the oldest one, I'm not really sure anymore. We're in the middle. So when are they, when they're at the hospital, this really gets me, they said she had a stroke. So how did this reflect on her doctor from the past, and what is the procedure for her care? Well, uh, Fran, I, I write books that I call autobiographical fiction because mm-hmm. this book is drawn heavily from my life experience. But I have to put in fiction, and the characters are fictional. I actually have two sisters, not just one. I have two sisters and a brother. And the one sister was upset that she was left out. But I felt that the middle was an important, just two siblings. So there is fiction, but there's a lot of my personal experience. And my mother had this, the, the medical problems that the mother in the book experienced were the same as my mother. My mother had a stroke, and I think she had a very bad primary care doctor who at at her age he was already almost as old as she was Uh, he was elderly and he gave really bad advice Um, so some of that is drawn from experience Um, and and, um, when they get to the hospital and they find out that she has actually had a stroke it changes their whole perspective because you know, I think as children do, maybe even the royal family's children thought their mother mm-hmm. would go on forever. That yeah. doesn't happen. And things really happen. And then care is needed when it wasn't. They have to be, they have to take more care of their mother. They have to look closer. They have to watch her closer uh, than they ever did before. I felt like I was a doctor on call for eight years. That's how, that's how I felt, because I never I, knew. I, you know what I mean. In the middle of the night, you get a phone call and yeah. say, "Get your body down here. You're going to have to take your mother to the ER." And you never knew. Right, right, and and the book starts with a phone call, because yeah. I think a lot of these situations with whoever you have to give care to, an elderly parent or a spouse or someone, it's a phone call that something has gone wrong and that starts a spiral in their health and Mm -hmm. an upward spiral of the kind of care that they're going to need. So, you know, that's, and and I have had so many people come up to me and say, oh my gosh, I read your book and I so identify with what happened with having to take care of a parent Mm -hmm. or a, a spouse. Um, and and it's a it's such a huge job. I don't and think I, people I think... even realize it. You get you know something. I taught for a very long time, and I had to retire to take care of my mother. And you know, there's a little bit of resentment in me because I said to my sister, you know, I could use some help around here. And my brother too. My brother is in the world of his own. Sometimes he's a good kid, but what can I say? And my sister. She was busy with her two girls and whatever. Now I'm putting one through nursing school again. We're going to do the next class, the next RN book exam together. And it's like, you know, where is everybody? And then you go to the hospital, and this resonated as being really true, that the hospital staff that your mother was in was unfeeling rude and make excuses for not addressing her mother's needs. And let me tell you something, they tried and they failed because I have a big mouth. 
and I, I didn't even hesitate at times to to go over their heads. So how do you deal with that when they're rude? That's really hard. And there's an instance in the book where they're trying yeah. to take blood from her mother, and a young yeah. nurse comes in and does it several times, and then the, mm-hmm. the cherry in the book says, leave, find someone else, and I did that. I mean, I cannot see someone sticking and sticking my mother. She was, it was very difficult to draw blood from uh, because of her condition. And um, when they came in to take blood, I said, I want a professional mm-hmm. um, person, not a trainee. And, and every hospital has someone who is specialized in taking blood. And they know how to treat a, a patient that is difficult to get blood from. And so, yeah, I, that's the thing. You have to be an advocate. You have to mm-hmm. be there. Um, and each of my siblings have a different point of view about what happened. And, and that mm-hmm. because we each have a different relationship with our mother, mm-hmm. I think in any family, no matter how many siblings you are, you don't see your parents the same. You all have a different relationship. You all have a different point of view. Uh, and, and we all see these things a little bit differently. But if there isn't someone there to advocate for an elderly person, particularly an elderly person who mentally isn't completely there, you know, they're going to get taken advantage of. Without a doubt, if you know something, my mother at first could speak up. And then when she developed Alzheimer's, she she was a she knew more she knew more bad language than I did seriously, and 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 she my sister was more special to her because my sister was like her, she could dance she was in Broadway shows my sister dancing and singing and starring in the show and then there was me playing the piano and the violin which is okay but not what she wanted so if my sister walked in even when she had the dementia she would say it's finally the good one is here you could leave now. I go, that's good, because now I've got the rest of the day off. Oh, she was she was tough on me. And my sister once said, you know, you're adopted. That's why she doesn't like you. And I began to believe her, because she never took it back. So I'm going to actually find out. What can I say? So how do you make the decision? I mean, I paid a lot of money every week to keep for the nights, because I got 12 hours during the day, and I finally got all of it in a very unusual way. But how do you make a decision as to how to take care of the mom? And why would you, you know, what about a nursing home or not? I would not do it. Well, my mother, actually, my mother chose to take care of my father at home. Mm-hmm. When yeah, I remember that. When he was completely paralyzed. And she felt that we needed to do that for her. But the mm. problem was we all had our own homes and our own lives. And yeah. it's hard to be there for her 24 hours a day. Uh, now, my brother, as the brother in the book, John, was single. And he spent more nights there than the rest of us. Uh, but we drew up charts. And, and I, I think for my experience, and I think you see the Carrie in the book, mm. I am very grateful that I have loving siblings and we get You're along lucky. together and we had arguments we had disagreements about this but we were very lucky uh, that we could make a plan that we could agree 
and and like the in the book, the oldest sibling, Maria, her um, sort of was control of things, and that's kind of in my family. My oldest sister is sort of always a little bit in control, but but mm-hmm. we did agree. But we made a chart. We discussed who um, would be at the house when, and we filled in each day that we thought we needed to have someone around the clock, and, and we each took our turn. And, and I was very, very lucky in that. I felt because I did have a nine-to-five job like mm-hmm. Carrie, and, and I worked in an advertising agency like Carrie, um, mm-hmm. and I felt that I had to be there all the time. But I realized that their lives were busy, too, and they felt the same way, even though they didn't have exactly the same kind of nine-to-five job I did and a boss. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we we took our turn. No one took a turn. And the sad part is that I had to retire from teaching early, much earlier, and I had no choice because the principal that was there was not like the one that was there when my mother first got sick. She would, she would, if Dr. Edwards was still there and didn't get forced out, she never would have let me retire. She would have figured out a way to keep me there as a reading person because that's how good I was. Mm. So, yeah, my brother had three children, thank God. One is one was graduating this year and two that are doing very well, and he was busy with his children. Now he's busy with his own life. My sister was busy with her children and a husband that was a horrible person. So I guess I was the one. Thank God my husband's a saint. And I was the one that took care of everything. And when the aide left my mom on the street corner, that's how I got the rest of the money, rest of the um, hours for 12 hours, because it's expensive, private pay. I don't think people realize the thousands of dollars you spend every single week in order to keep somebody out of a nursing home and get the right care. So when Carrie took her turn, this was interesting. How did you create the past of her mother? She learned all about her mother and Joseph and the farms. How did you? Why did you add that? That was so interesting. That, that was my mother's story, and oh, embellished wow. because it's fictional. But the things that happened mm-hmm. to the mother in the book mostly happened to my mother. Wow. And and yeah, my mother had a very dramatic life story, mm. and and I think very few people knew it or understood because in her last parts of her life. She had a fairly successful business and a good family, but um, those things during the Depression, uh, seeing my father go off to World War II and then come back, um, all of, and, and, and being um, um, disowned by her family when she married my mm-hmm. father, yeah. those things all happened to my mother. That that is that is that is sad. My mother never knew that her mother was not her real mother either. Somebody she was going to the movie. She was coming home, and she said, "I got to get home for Mama." My mother said it, and her cousin said, "She's not your real mother. She's your stepmother. Why do you care?" She never knew. And oh my, my grandmother, gosh. yeah, she never knew. It was really cruel. That that this she this person told her because she was nasty, and I said to she I said you never told grandma my grandmother the one I grew up with Katie, who is my really stepmother grandmother, 
She never told her. She never knew, ever. And I didn't know until my grandmother died that my other grandmother was my was supposedly the person I was named for or something. And that I was so much like her. I wouldn't have traded my grandmother for anything. She was my protector. <laughs> she, If my mother picked yeah. on me, my grandmother said, don't even go near that child. She's perfect. Whatever. So how did she succeed? And tell us about how it carries reflections of her youth. Well, um, Carrie talked, you know, and and I did what Carrie did with her mother is that when Mm. her mother was spiraling into, I don't want to be here, get me out of the hospital or wherever she was, Carrie's response was, let's talk about something you want to talk about. And Mm -hmm. I kind of did that with my mother. I said, let's talk about your history. Let's talk about things that happened. And, and. The first part of the book, the mother is telling stories that happened before Carrie is born. But then she's starting to tell stories about Carrie's youth. And Mm. uh, this, a a lot of, again, this is my life story, that um, they, Carrie, when Carrie was born, her parents lived in a three-room house that had no bathroom Mm -hmm. and only cold, cold running water. And they lived there until Carrie was 10. And then they built a house that had a bathroom. And those things, that was my life. And actually, my third book that I'm working on now is about that life. Um, From the time before I was born when my parents bought this piece of land and built this little Mm. uh, concrete brick house that was supposed to be a work shed, but then they didn't have money to build a house and lived in that for 10 years. Um, so, yeah, that was that. It, it's an interesting story, but it was, it grew very heavily from my life experience. It's interesting. We lived in, on, in the South Bronx in an apartment that you wouldn't want to go into ever, in a neighborhood that you wouldn't want to walk into ever, seriously. And I, and the bathroom was as big as my thumb, and there were there, it was the building wasn't kept up the right way. It was old even in you know when I was a teenager and even older. So yeah, it's 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 strange and amazing. The fact that we even walked up ten flights of stairs seriously to the third floor with with no elevator was even worse. So I know. Wow. So when her mom comes home, what changes occur? And tell us about her job and the people there, because she didn't work in exactly the most feeling place. Her voice was very insensitive and unfeeling. Sounds familiar. Well, but, but yeah, I, I made the boss. The boss is fictional, and I made the boss to mm-hmm. be harsh because yeah. I wanted to show how difficult this in the middle situation can be, mm-hmm. taking care of a parent. And so I made the boss particularly harsh. Um, And she was constantly struggling between trying to do her duty to her mother and trying to satisfy this very difficult boss in a marketing situation. And her work situation was stressful, extremely stressful. And then having the the need to care for her mother. And she had a family, too, you know, that mm-hmm. was kind of lost in the process. So it, 
I did work in a, in a marketing firm where I felt sort of the odd man out. I didn't have a boss that harsh, but it was a difficult situation. Um, so, I mean, some of that I drew on, some of it is fictional. But it creates, it creates stress and conflict in the book. You know, I think a good book has to have conflict. And you have oh, to it have doesn't just boring. Pardon? If yeah. it doesn't have conflict, it gets boring and it doesn't seem real. I mean, in a situation right. like right. this, you would imagine you would have conflict within yourself, too, as to whether I'm doing the right thing, why am I doing this, and you, know, you question it also. Right, right. And and, and I, I had to make the boss particularly harsh to create more conflict, yeah, to that. create more stress. Yeah, well, my, my principal was unfeeling and cold-hearted and horrible, and she didn't quite understand the definition of caring for a parent because the only person that she cared about was herself. She didn't even care about the students in the school, and it's oh, really sad. Yeah, my, my husband's best sad. friend died right before I retired, and I said, I'm going to come in, and she ruined my reading program. I said, I'm going to come in and do my reading group. She said, why don't you take a couple of days off? I can hire a sub. It's no big deal. I can use it in my budget. I said, well, in that case, why am I here? And for all the years, mm-hmm. I created a reading program that was talked about in the board by, by the chancellor. And she just said, well, you know, you're with the strongest teacher in the school, the strongest one with the principal's license, by the way, I had. She said, I know you want my job, so I'm going to keep pulling you out. I said, you know what, I'll just retire. I don't care. And she wow. said to me, she said, yeah, she said, how does it feel to retire? I said, let me know when you leave. I'll come back. That was my answer. <laughs> yeah, she was like awful. So how you, you, the mother changes throughout the novel. How does she change, and how does her mental state change? And she has so many strokes. How come? They will miss something. Well, my understanding is that it's not uncommon for a person in with her health profile to have yeah. multiple small strokes. And there's very little at a certain point that they can do about it. Um, but each stroke took some of her mental capacity away, each little stroke. Mm-hmm. And and each little stroke caused um, her to have um, visions or see things that weren't reality. So the mother's the mother's mental and physical um, capabilities continue to decline. And I think that's a real a real life situation when people at a certain age, at a certain point, they start developing um, issues that cause uh, a pretty dramatic decline. And that's what happened in the book. That's also what happened with my mother. No, I believe that it does happen. It did happen to my mother, but she had uh, a surgery in 1994 that was a 24-hour, 27-hour surgery for the heart, and after that, being you know in in um, in a coma, they you know they they did it. They they may put her in a coma, whatever, assisted a coma, for like a month. When she came out of it, she was sort of out of it, and never quite the same until she died in 2011. And yeah, it's it's scary to watch somebody that's brilliant all of a sudden it's like taking a candle and it's going out. Slowly but surely. 
So right. carrot yeah. it's carriers bring pressure and backstab would work by her boss who I'd like to smack in the head. And a personal assistant <laughs> Yeah, I would wanted a really smack in the head. So this adds tension to your life. How do you how do you deal with that other than saying to yourself, I'm gonna have a couple of shots of something? Me I would I drank a I drank a lot I drink a lot of coffee. Back then I think I drank about ten tots a day just to make myself calm. Well, Carrie is a person of faith, as am I. And mm-hmm. I think she often turned to her faith and mm-hmm. turned to God to talk about this situation uh, at work. And uh, I think that that's how she dealt with it. And, you know, I think if I, I look at the book, it's partly having the distraction of caring for her mother that she doesn't focus entirely on this difficult situation at work. Um, and, and maybe that helped some, but I, I think she was just blindly trying to push forward and and survive the work situation as much as possible um, to run out, to get home, to go to take care of her mother. Um, but having faith, I think, makes a huge difference in life. It, it, it's a, it's hard. And, you know, I see on Facebook and stuff, there are people who are trying to make people more aware of Alzheimer's. They're trying to figure out, you know, how do you deal with it? You just do. Because basically what happens after a while, you just deal with it one step at a time because you can't stop and say, am I doing the right thing? What, what am I doing? It's something that you have to do because the person can't function without somebody there to help them. And I was lucky because I had eight, eight, literally eight home health aides that I picked out myself because I didn't like what happened before. And at least I could sort of sleep at night until the phone rang and said, guess what, you've got to come with us, we're going to the hospital. They didn't even wait for me. They mm-hmm. just called 911 and said, get, get down here. But I was, I was lucky yeah. with that. So decisions were made, but not always the right one, and that created discord. How did that happen? With her, because you well, know, sometimes you don't always make the right one, but you don't mean to write the wrong one. You know, when you are suddenly thrust into the position of being a caregiver, yeah, with no medical experience, you know, we don't come with uh, medical degrees. Most people mm-hmm. ha- have to make choices. And the choices aren't always the right ones, but we have so little uh, background, and we have we have degrees or experience in something totally different. But then mm-hmm. suddenly you have to make medical decisions that you're not trained or equipped to make, and there aren't you don't always make the right decisions. And you have three people in this case uh, in my book making a decision, and they don't always agree. Um, they politely disagree, but they disagree on on what should be done. And mm-hmm. you have to you have to find some medium ground. Somebody has to give way. And um they wanted at least two of the siblings desperately wanted to keep their mother at home. And that's a mm-hmm. really, really hard thing to do sometimes when the care is so needed. Mm-hmm. Um and and finding home care, as you know, isn't that easy and very, very expensive. 
um, a lot of people just can't afford to do around-the-clock home care. And um, so, you know, some some good decisions were made and some bad decisions were made. It cost back then close to $7,000 a month for the nights until the aide left my mom on a street corner and she was kidnapped, for real. By somebody that, oh that turned out to be, yeah, he turned out to be a guardian angel. He saw her on the street. The aide went in to buy something for her daughter. When she came out, my mother wasn't there. She said, I lost your mother. I said, it's kind of hard. She's in a wheelchair. And I, when I found her, she was in the hospital with this man that whispered to me, just tell him I'm your brother. He was like a guardian angel. If he didn't find her, she never would have made it another eight years. She wouldn't have lived because it was 108 degrees outside, and this this stupid aide left her wherever. So you don't oh you don't gosh. know. It's it's scary. So oh gosh. My my sister wanted her in a nursing home near where she worked. My brother was in the middle somewhere. So I shut up everybody and I went to visit 25 nursing homes for real. Because the hospital and the her, and her home care people wanted to do that, and when after I went and I said, which one would you like to go to? Because she's not going to any of these. So what happens when Carrie's placed in another difficult situation where Jeffy wants her to come and see his mother? What was the reason and why was she so supportive? Because she was like in between a rock and a hard place then. Right. Well, so the book is based on the situation where the family decides to try with everything they have to keep the mother in her home. Yeah. But I wanted to show another situation where, um, and, and I have had people in my family who have also made this decision, to while they still have all their faculties, to move into a retirement center where mm. care will be provided if they should need it. And I wanted to provide that contrast of a situation. So uh, Cherry's husband's uh, mother decides she's going to sell her house and move into um, a retirement center that has Mm -hmm. the ability to move into assisted living. And it's a different family dynamic. And there it was hard for her husband's family to accept their mother's decision. But Mm -hmm. I think in the end they knew that they had to. Um, And, and, I think that is that is the decision that Carrie would have liked her family to make, would have liked mm. her mother to make at some point. And I think Carrie sees that and says, you, you know, you don't know how much better this is than to have the situation that I have. Um, so that's why she was very supportive. And I think her husband... Uh, didn't accept it at first. And yeah, he, he struggled didn't. With it. I I understand, but you know what? Carrie, his mother had her faculties. She didn't have right. dementia, and I know people right. that have been placed in homes like that and died right away. My mother's neurologist mm-hmm. said to me, "If you didn't do what you're doing, she would have been dead a long time ago." And he was the head of neurology of one of the top nursing homes, and he said, "And I went to visit um. it." He said, you made the right decision. I said, gee, thanks. <laughs> what would you like me to say? So, it's always good to the, hear. 
Yeah, how does how does she bond with her mother throughout the novel? Because their relationship changes. Well, I think in the beginning, her relationship is pretty um, weak. You might say that it's kind of just holidays and. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't spend a great deal of time together. They each have their own set of work and rules, and Carrie is is very busy career person, and I don't think that she has given her mother a great deal of attention until her mother gets sick. And so once she starts caring for her mother and once she starts listening to her life stories, stories that she sort of should have known but didn't hear it from her mother, then I think she gets a greater appreciation for her mother and why she made the decisions that she made in life. My mother did have to take care of my grandmother after a while when she when my grandmother got sick, so she had to quit school. But I never knew that until after she died too. So before I forget, mm-hmm. Thursday, um, Tim Aaron's will be here with his sci-fi scary book. The Grand Game. And then at 4 o'clock, Marsha Casper Cook has asked me to join New York Times author Vincent Sandry. They're going to talk about writing, and I get to ask questions. How cool is that? On the That's 28th, cool. yeah, award-winning author Lee Matthew Goldberg, Immoral Origins, His Desire Card, Book 3. On the 29th, Dead in the Alley. Now, on the 3rd of October... Dr. George Cavuto, my reading professor from college, and I are going to be talking about how children acquire language, expressive and receptive language, decoding, and what happens when a child decodes and doesn't understand anything, and a lot more in reading programs. That's my field, so I get to answer questions, and he gets to put me on the spot because he loves doing that. And then on the on the sixth we have the perfect brother. On the tenth, I'm hoping that the author is okay. In the it's in the news. And on the twelfth, Stephen Manchester, dad. And I just got an email from one of the top cardiac surgeons in the world. Christina Laporte is going to be on here with her novel on October nineteenth at a special time, twelve. Dissection. You don't want to be part of that one. It's it's what happens when you get a when you get a note and a card that says your heart attack is going to happen in an hour and it does. It's scary. So she just signed up for one hour. I think that's great. So how your her family your family dynamics change? Why were her sister and brother staying away? And what happens when Carrie gets fired? That wasn't fair either. Right, and that did happen to me. I'm when oh, I God. worked in that agency, I walked in one day, and the very the very unusual thing, yeah, I was praying, because it was stressful, and I wasn't, I knew I wasn't fitting mm-hmm. in, I wasn't getting along, I knew there were problems with my work, and I prayed all the way to work that God would help me find a way to deal with this situation, and when I got into work, my boss said, we're going to let you go, and I started laughing, because I thought, this is God's answer, really? <laughs> That's not what I was, you know, I was hoping he would make the whole mm. work situation better, but I I think it was God's answer. But uh, because the siblings disagreed, and mm. they disagreed to a point that, that Carrie, the author, 
just walks out and says, I can't talk to you guys anymore because I disagree. And then uh, she goes to losing her job. And when she loses her job, it's just kind of like the Bible verse that when God closes a door, he opens a window. Mm-hmm. When she loses her job, she discovers that she can start her own company. And um, I did that. Uh, that happened to me. Uh, and what happened to Carrie in the book, she loses a job. She comes home. She talks to one of her clients from her from her agency and mm-hmm. says, I would like to work with you. And from that, she started her own company. And now she's trying to start a new company and still dealing with um, her mother's care and her mother's failing health and disagreeing mm-hmm. with her siblings. So there is tension. There, that is true. And that, I think that's why everyone, when they retire or something, you you know, you got to find something else to do. And I noticed that the, the teachers that I work with for 100 years, they're just going on trips and grandchildren or whatever, and they look at me. They, they didn't realize for the last umpteen years that I've been doing radio and all the rest of it, and all of a sudden they said, like, oh, my God, why did you decide to do that? Because you, if you're going to not do one job, then you have to give yourself a reason to get up in the morning and do something else. And, you know, sometimes what you, what happened to you is great. So you open your own company, and now you're your own boss. That's even better. And when I decided to do the radio shows, I said, at least I have a reason to do something special for other people. And it's my sister's fault because she told me I look like a fat cow potato. I weigh 107 pounds. I weighed 200 pounds when my mother got sick because I was eating myself into oblivion like a fool. And that's not good. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so. So explain what her mother tells her about her father. Well, um, um, specifically which thing? I mean, her mother talked about, I think that Carrie never quite realized the depth of feelings for her parents, her parents had. You know, I think because children don't, we don't see that. Mm -hmm. And and because her father died young, I think that she didn't realize until she started talking to her mother how much she loved her father. Mm. And that was pretty eye-opening. My father was my best pal, my partner in crime. He got me in trouble all the time. It was fun. He owned a cleaning store, <laughs> so anytime he got trouble with, you know, you know, um, you know not, not a lawsuit, but just a complaint or something, and he had to go to small claims court, I went too, <laughs> and I had to write the notes and I had to write the letters and stuff. And my mother would say to me, "What did he ask you to do?" I go, "I have no idea what you're talking about." So I miss him. He was my, my he was my champion, and my mother was was hard. So I know how that feels. So how and why with the scene with the pastor, and what faith does she have in God? That was a powerful scene. Well, I I'm glad you see that I. I, that was my favorite scene in the book. Yeah, I have a lot of faith, and but no matter how strong your faith is, there are times when you have doubt. There are times mm-hmm. when you're angry at God, and in that scene, she thought she was, you know, a good church-going Christian, and then she had this idea that God should 
give her answers that she wanted, not answers that mm-hmm. she didn't want. And everything that was happening there, she goes in the church to pray, and just anger at God just comes out. And she starts throwing books. And I, I think that mm-hmm. that's a very human, no matter mm-hmm. how much faith you have, there are points in life when things like everything is raining down in your head, when mm-hmm. you just angry at God. You want God to fix it all. And it doesn't happen like that. That's not how he works. And the pastor comes in and explains it to her, and she accepts it, and she understands it. But i that was one of my favorite things. I often wonder if I could find somebody like that. Unfortunately, around here, there's like there's, there's no temples or something like that. And the rabbi that um, did my mother-in-law's funeral, that was another horrible thing that happened, that she's gone. And he's... There's nobody to talk to. She's lucky. That is great that you have somebody that you could actually say, why is this happening? Explain to me why God did this. And how come he decided to take my, you know, these people home, especially my sister. Right. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's sad. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that we all need a faith leader to yeah. just to... to to, to bleed our heart out to sometimes, someone who can hold our hands and help us see scripture and understand what God is uh-huh. trying to say. So, how did you um, create the final scenes, and how did how did you and how did uh, the family wind up at the end? How did Carrie and Maria and her brother wind up at the end without giving it away? Did they finally get right. to some yeah. kind of common ground? It's it's hard to say. I think that it's clear. By the time you get halfway through the book, you know where the story is going. Yeah. But I, you know, I don't want to give away too much. But it's a natural end that, you know, happens in all families. But yeah. they come together. They come back together. They find their love. She finds the love for her siblings. And something that happens to her um, in the end that she sees life as a full cycle, a full mm-hmm. circle. And after her mother's gone, then she has to pick up care for an uncle, which happened to me. And I put that in because mm-hmm. sometimes yeah, I, I that. think all of the work that I did taking care of my, other, my mother prepared me to take care of an uncle. And, and I was never really that close to my uncle. But he had mm-hmm. nobody else, and none of my siblings were in a situation that they could help him. And mm-hmm. I spent pretty close to ten years taking care of him. And he was in a nursing home. He chose. He was happy to go to the nursing home when he needed it. He felt that he had community there. He did well there. Um, he lived seven years in the nursing home, but mm. the last three to four, he didn't know who I was. But I made sure I was there three times a week, so that the staff knew there was someone who cared about it. That's right. That was going to that was going to find something if his care was not as good. And I always made it a point to go in on weekends because I know that the regular staff was not there on weekends. And sometimes mm-hmm. the care on weekends was a level below than what I would accept, and I let them know it. 
So, you know, I I think that was good when and and, and when he passed at his funeral, my siblings gave me a retirement party <laughs> because I was retiring from the caregiving. No, but, it's really funny. But, uh, I'm a, I know how you feel because I felt like I was retiring too. I actually got right. was able to move from the from the Bronx and where we were, but then I had to deal with her estate, which was not very big. And she mm. had you know life insurance stuff. And the weird part was she left it all to my brother. And my oh sister. my gosh! I got oh nothing. I'm serious. I got nothing, and oh I my gosh. didn't. And I said, gee, here I am taking care of her, and she left it to my mother, my brother, and my sister, because they had kids, whatever. And my mother, she left about $25,000, not even, and life insurance. But, you know, we're not that kind of family. And I said to my brother, the funeral was on me. And it was like, and then because I knew the people that don't know the people that own the funeral home, thank God, um, they took off a couple of thousand dollars because <laughs> we grew up together. And he, my brother gave me the money from the estate, from what he got, to pay for the funeral. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. well, it was $10,000, which I didn't have because I was yeah, paying. Right. When my mother died, I was in yeah. debt, to be very honest, a half a million dollars for her home care because I charged every charge card five times. After I paid it off, I had to pay it back in in order to keep her out of the nursing home and everything else that I didn't get. And then for those people that don't know, Medicaid plays, pays for incontinence stuff. They do. And they also pay for insure. And Medicare pays for some too. So I learned that through other people, which was a great blessing because the incontinence stuff and all the stuff is thousands of dollars a month. It's a lot of money. And they send it. So it's, it's, it's amazing. So where do you see Carrie next? What's next for her and the family? Well, um, I think Carrie is going to continue to grow. And I said in, mm. in, in the future she's going to be taking care of her uncle. But I think there's a great deal of stress and mm-hmm. anxiety in taking care of her mother. But mm-hmm. when she has to do it again, I think she understands she knows so much more. And there's so much to learn in caring for a elderly person who is declining. There is so much, like you say, you know, what does Medicare pay? Um, what does yeah. hospice pay? Hospice, hospice is an incredible uh, organization, and hospice provides so much, and people mm-hmm. fear it. And but it's it's uh, so helpful, and it gives so much relief, not just to the person who is sick, but to the family. Um, but you know, figuring out all of these things, um, you know, that once she has, she feels more equipped and she is just more comfortable in doing it in her life. I think that she has her own company and she proceeds with that. And I think she's going to be a grandmother. Yeah, I know. I want and to say that. I read the last that. page. Yeah. You know, they also, I, what I didn't know, well, my sister was a, worked for orthopedic surgeons before she died, strangely, and um, she was had connections to different, you know, home care places, which was even better, and my mom needed a lift chair, and we got, we got part of it paid for, 
Yeah, there are organizations where you can get an awful lot of services. As a matter of fact, she got a hospital bed that we didn't have to pay for, and they said after uh, 13 or 14 months, the bed's yours. Don't have to give it back. And we had just gotten a second one for her because I wanted one where the, the top lifted by itself so she could actually, you know, up and down. She liked that. She got a Hoya lift, and all those things are paid for through, a, through Landauer Metropolitan. We were lucky. Because how can you afford all of that stuff? And then you get to keep the bed, right. <laughs> for real. And I get right. away. Right, right, right. So right. there's so many things that people don't know, and then they don't tell you. The home care pay for right. people, they don't tell you half of what you can get, I guess. So what does she learn? What does she, what does she learn is her final purpose about herself. And where the, what is next for you? Tell us more about the next book. Well, I, first of all, I think Carrie learns, Carrie, Carrie's connection to her mother grows during the book. And I think she sees this journey of caring for her mother as an opportunity to get to know her mother better, to get to understand some things about herself and her mother that she hadn't understood before. And I mm-hmm. think in the end she sees it as a gift and a gift that will stay with her long after her mother is gone. So I I think that's the lesson of hope in the book, because Mm -hmm. I always like to have hope um, in anything that I write. So the book that I'm currently working on is called Mm -hmm. Where the Fossil Creek Flows. And Mm -hmm. some of that story is in this book, um, but it's the story of, how my parents found this little plot of land and mm. they had saved for like seven years to buy this plot of land and build a, a greenhouse built business, growing flowers. And that was my father's um, passion was growing flowers. And he wanted to do it and they bought this mm. little piece of land that had a creek in the back that was full of fossils. And um, the opening of the book says that many men build a business by having sons and building a business with sons. And my father had daughters. And he decided he was going to build his business with daughters. And I feel that a lot of who I am was mm-hmm. because my father treated us like his boys or never mm-hmm. said, you can't do that because you're a girl. If mm-hmm. there was a wheelbarrow to be pushed, he goes, you push it. You know, he, if there was something to be done that was nice, he never said, you don't have to do that because you're a girl. We just did everything. And I think I approached life like that, that I could do anything. And we're talking about the book starts, this book starts in 1950. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in those days, girls weren't particularly encouraged to go to college. Um, they certainly, there there weren't glass ceilings at corporations. There was metal steel ceilings. Mm-hmm. And women were not promoted to anything beyond where the males thought they should be. So to have that attitude growing up in that time, I think, was, was a great gift. And uh, that's kind of what I want to show how this couple with nothing built a business that is still going on today. 
That that's amazing. My grandfather came from uh, Poland, and he sold apples on a street corner for ten uh-huh. cents or nick. And then he bought a laundromat, and then he bought a cleaning cleaning store, and then he bought a cleaning mm-hmm. store for all of his son-in-laws and, and sons, all five of them. So he had six. They were all under him. And it was required. You said, you know, like, if you girl, whatever. It was required that on Saturday, um, when I was a teen, right before I started to teach, that I had to work in the store on Saturday if I wanted money and an allowance and happy and not aggravate my, you know. I had no choice. I was up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I had to work from 4 o'clock until 7 o'clock at night. My sister did the register, and I got stuck spotting and cleaning and pressing the work with the presser. For real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, there, that's there was no almost sense. as hot work as working in a greenhouse. Yeah. And and, and there's no there's no air conditioning, and it's hot back there. So yeah. you, you, every one of my – no one had a choice. There was no choice in the matter. You you just did. And that you didn't ask – you didn't question or anything. And you know what? It made me laugh stronger. And I realized, you know, you're right. You could do anything if you just put your mind to it. And don't let anybody tell you that you can't. And I think that's a, that's a mantra that I taught my nieces, too. I said, don't ever say I can't. Just say I'll try. Don't ever give up on yourself because you, cause I'm right here to push you as far as you can go. <laughs> so, well, we, I, we, I agree. I, I, I think that's an attitude that many young people have lost today. Yeah, they did. You're right. And I think and that you were talking about retirement. Yeah. I don't. I think I education has marketing. gone too. Yeah, right, right. I ran my own marketing firm for about ten years, and then I retired, and mm-hmm. I decided to start writing novels. Mm-hmm. Because I I wrote my whole life, but I wrote business mm-hmm. papers, brochures, marketing plans, mm-hmm. and I thought I would retire and just write what I want to write, and that's what I've been doing. Well, my sister told me, she said, why don't you write a book? I don't know, whatever possessed her to tell me that. I said, you're going to be sorry because I'm going to write about you and me growing up in the South Bronx. <laughs> and you're going to hate me forever. And I did. My first book was not great, but it was my call. My name is Bertha. The publishing company, I won't say, did a crappy job as far as editing. Thank God my mother-in-law, I love that lady, I miss her. She was my best editor. My sister edited. They both criticized what I did, and I, that was perfect. And then I had an Anne Francis on my husband's side. I was the only one that she liked in the whole family, for real. And she she criticized and helped it. And I wrote My Name is Bertha, which is two stories growing up in the South Bronx with my sister. And I said to my sister, you see, this is what you get for telling me to write. I I wish I could write like (laughs) you and everybody else. And I'm writing something different. And I'm looking at it and I'm saying, I think I'm just going to get rid of it and write. My mom had a lady that was on the fifth floor underneath her that had Alzheimer's. My my mother's book, A Daughter's Promise, is really good. Everybody loved it. But Betty never had the honor of being remembered, ever. She would come up to my mm-hmm. mom's house, and she didn't know who she was. She would say, my sister's here. I, she says, are you my daughter? I go, yeah, Betty, come. And I would bring her home, and her husband would get mad that I found her. I found her in the street mm-hmm. running out, running away one day because she didn't know what happened, and I brought her back, and he got had a fit. He, it was like, and then when they finally put her in a nursing home, she died a month later. So I just feel like maybe I'll write her story. I haven't decided. But where can everybody find out about you and your work? And make sure I get the next one. That's just... Well, 
Yeah, my books are available on Amazon. Um, if you Google my name, and the last name is S-H-U-L-U-S-K-Y, my books will come up. Uh, it's also available from Barnes & Noble. And any bookshop, if you go into mm-hmm. any bookshop and ask them, they can order it. Um, mm-hmm. So it's available in a number of bookstores around the St. Louis area, but uh, you can get it almost anywhere. Well, your I'm, book. I am active on, I'm active on Facebook and Instagram, and I have a website with my name, mm. which is C A R I N S H U L U S K Y, is my website, and it also tells you how to get books. Well, your book is going somewhere on Wednesday which is the home of all my books. My dermatologist's wife is a reader, and I have to go Wednesday to ask him something, but I can't come without your book and not a whole bunch of books. He said I can't come without books. So (laughs) I'm serious. As a matter of fact, your last one was in a big bag of 50 books, and I haven't seen my neighbor in AG, and I met her at Mary in the elevator. I said, wait a minute, don't go anywhere. And I gave her... 50 books, and your other one was in there. She's, like, so thrilled with me. She loves me. I got so upset because I uh-huh. haven't seen her. But Dr. M is getting your book on Wednesday with a few others because he said I can't come and visit him without books. And he's into <laughs> Alzheimer's and stuff like that. So, yeah, that I share him, but this is great. So thank you so very much. This brightened my whole day. Everyone, the world is made up of so many different people. We have to start being nicer to each other and appreciate the fact that writing and reading is so special and so important. So everybody have a great day. Thank you, Karen. Everybody have a great day Thank and you. bye. It's always a pleasure. <laughs>